evening. Welcome, welcome. Hello. welcome to Hungry Ghosts. Hungry Ghosts. And the theme of this episode is strange diets, mm. extreme diets, unusual diets. Unusual diets. Um, we, I mean, we, I came across something when we were um, researching this episode, which is kind of more of a throwback to the one we did about elixirs mm. and, um, you know, supposedly medicinal um, foods. But I just couldn't believe we overlooked it. And so I have to bring it up <laughs> here. Uh, and that is our old, well, I was going to say friend of the show, probably not, William the Conqueror. Yes. Is he a friend of the show? Have we talked about him before? Don't know. Don't know. But he probably, would he be a friend of the show? I think, mm, on, before you answer The that, jury's out. <laughs> Let me think on this. Um, he had been a healthy fella most mm. of his life. But in old age, he put on quite a lot of weight. It happens. Yeah. But he could no longer ride his horse. Um, and his uh, solution to this was to go on an alcohol-only diet. <laughs> <laughs> Where... He just lay in bed and drank wine. Wow, I absolutely love it. Um, but the punchline, the tragic punchline to this story is that uh, later that year, he sure enough lost enough weight um, to be able to ride his horse again. And he promptly fell off his horse and died. Oh, God. Well, yeah, that'll teach you. Was yeah. he drunk when he was riding? Well, it could have been. Yeah. It could have been a selling the drunk type situation. <laughs> Slip and hit your head on the bathroom. I was gonna uh, I was gonna mention this uh, uh, later, but but seeing as it is it related to this, uh, one of the fad diets of the sixties was known as the drinking man's diet. Now you've got to remember obviously this is like the mad men type landscape. Yeah. Uh, and essentially alcohol is required at every meal and you should drink try and drink as much as gin and vodka as you physically can. Um, this was a diet pamphlet that sold in the in the sixties um, at one dollar a piece, and within two years, he sold more than two million copies, a bestseller basically of the of the time. Um, which seems strange because you can probably just say, okay, I'll just drink gin and vodka, but maybe there's some more nuance to that. But it's it's widely recognised as one of the first low carb diets, right? Uh, just strictly drinking gin and vodka, pretty much as much as you can. But is there a limit on the food? Um, it doesn't suggest that. I think it's just you possibly you're so... Dr- oh, no. Sorry, I didn't read the first sentence. You you start with a steak. Oh. <laughs> and you must wash it down with a martini. Yes. Uh, and, uh, yes, that's your... Basically, every dinner is a steak and martini with as many martinis as you can possibly get through. Nice. I love it. Well, that sounds... Particularly the steak, maybe followed by a nice whiskey or something, mm. is... Um, very much in the wheelhouse of the some of the some of the more extreme online YouTube diets that I get <laughs> yes. these days, which involve a lot of red meat, mm. possibly exclusively red meat. Yeah, uh, Jordan Peterson and his uh, <laughs> daughter, certainly enemies, I would say, of the podcast. His uh, daughter Michaela um, are big proponents of the the beef only diet, which is yeah. a, a form. Like a subgenre of the meat only diet, which is a subgenre of like the protein only diet. Basically, there's all, all these weird diets that like go into like more and more extreme versions of themselves over yeah. time. But his daughter Michaela, like she grew up with, she claims extreme health conditions um, and was you know suffering massively throughout her life and trying all these things, going to doctors, trying different treatments, blah blah blah. Uh, and then eventually she tried, um, I think it's called exclusion therapy, where you, you, get, rid you, you get rid of one thing at a time until she ended up with um, steak, salt and water. And that's the only right. things she claims to eat. Um, to the extent that she says in this article I read that she once went to a steak restaurant and they put pepper on the steak and it gave her a severe reaction and she was ill for weeks afterwards because she'd eaten a, you know, a few crumbs of pepper that they'd seasoned the steak with, wow. which is madness. Um, again, coming back to that, that pamphlet of the other guy, which was you know pretty simple diet, Michaela Peterson will uh, give you one-on-one counselling for $75 for a half an hour session on how to follow her diet, which is pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. It's steak. Season it with salt and nothing else, and have a bit of water. Wow! Um, and what are the chances that 
the exact whatever affliction she has that means she can only eat beef and salt. Her father also says <laughs> yeah, exactly. must be hereditary. <laughs> must be hereditary. Um, when uh, they show this diet to uh, actual dietitians and nutritionists who know what they're talking about, they were of course gobsmacked and said that this is absolutely terrible and is like destroying your uh, gut health, killing all the good bacteria in your gut and certainly not something that you should be encouraging. But that's what the mainstream media wants. That's what the mainstream media <laughs> wants to think. It seems to be working for Michaela Peterson and her father, so, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, well, speaking of that um, kind of dramatic collision with uh, received wisdom and sort of <laughs> medical science, um, have you ever heard of, well, I'm sure you you would have heard of vegetarianism. Mm. And you may even heard of fruitarianism. Yes. Which we'll get to later. Uh, have you ever heard, however, of breatharianism? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> which is um, nothing more or less than eating simply the breath that you breathe in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, uh, that sounds very low calorie. Yep. Tell me more. It's low cal. <laughs> it's low carb. Um, well, there's been a few kind of prominent uh, claimants, mm. let's say, of the, of the breatharian diet, way of life. Um, so there's a guy called Praled Jani, an Indian monk born in 1929, who claimed to have lived without food or water since 1940. <laughs> and he died in, 19, in 2020, so he was 90 years old. Oh, my God. Um, he claimed that he was sustained by the goddess Durga, who provided him with water which dri- dropped down through a hole in his palate. It sounds a bit like he's confused about his own <laughs> saliva, possibly. But um, he lived as a hermit in a cave, so it's not very easy to verify his mm. claims. Um, but he was at one point he was tested, so he was... In fact, on two occasions, went to hospital for 10 days and was observed um, supposedly not eating, drinking, or passing stool or urine. Wow. Um, and then the second time for the same thing but for 15 days however there's a guy in um, India called Sanal Edamaruku who's like a a sceptic rationalist he's like the James Randi in right. India sort of thing and uh, he characterised the experiment as a farce for allowing um Johnny to move out of the way of the CCTV cameras periodically. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> and also claimed that uh, video footage showed he was allowed to receive devotees and leave the sealed test room to go sunbathing. <laughs> um, so it doesn't sound like... The hospital it. claimed he was under CCTV all the time, but it hasn't published the material. Particularly unscientific study, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, there was um, another woman called... Who, well, goes by the name Jasmuheen. Her real name's Ellen Grieve. She's an Australian woman. She was a prominent advocate of breatharianism in the 1990s, and she said, I can go months and months without having anything at all other than a cup of tea. My body runs on a different kind of nourishment. Uh, interviewers found her house stocked with food. <laughs> Jasmine claimed that the food was for her husband and daughter. Uh, in 1999, she volunteered to be monitored by the TV programme 60 Minutes for one week without eating to demonstrate her methods. Um... Day three, she claimed she was finding it difficult because her hotel room is near a busy road, <laughs> causing stress and pollution that prevented her from absorbing the required nutrients from the air. Uh. Um, she said, I asked for fresh air. 70% of my nutrients come from fresh air. I couldn't even breathe. Um, so it was moved to a mountainside retreat where her condition continued to deteriorate. After, after she fasted for four days, the president of the... Queensland branch of the Australian Medical Association urged her to stop the test. She was very dehydrated, blah, blah, blah. Pupils dilated. Her pulse was about double what it was when she started. <laughs> um, she was risking kidney failure, so she had to stop. Um, she then challenged uh, their conclusion, <laughs> saying, look, 6,000 people have done this around the world without any problem. Um, however... As of 2017, five deaths have been directly linked to mm. breatharianism as a result of her publications. My favourite, I should point out, she's denied responsibility for any of these deaths. Mm. My favourite uh, part of Jasmine Heen's story, though, is that uh, she claims her beliefs are based on the writings and, quote, 
more recent channeled material from, and here is a friend of the show, the Count de Saint-Germain. Oh, very good. Or <laughs> uh, well, the Comte de Saint-Germain, um, who, yeah, supposedly has been giving her tips on how to live forever through, I guess, not eating. Well, I don't know why yeah. he couldn't just eat. If anyone can do it, it's him. Yeah. He was obviously drinking elixirs, so yeah, it does. You know, maybe he over the centuries found a way to survive off life force alone. Exactly. Um, which brings me on to the the raw food movement, yeah. which has quite an interesting history. So it's one of the more, most kind of well documented of these uh, unusual diets and the way they go back in in time, um, because obviously people have been eating raw food. For a long, long time. Um, Modern kind of raw food uh, adherents sort of say that heating food above 40 degrees is what counts as raw, basically. Um, So below 40 degrees is raw, above 40 degrees is is not kosher in their understanding uh, because it degrades the enzymes in raw food that aid digestion. Um, This is what they claim. It's not scientifically accurate. Um, They also claim that raw foods have higher nutrient values than foods that have been cooked. Um, Whereas actually, you know, the reality is some foods, that is the case, and some foods actually cooking uh, actually increases the availability of the nutrients. Um, And they also claim that foods cooked at high temperatures do contain harmful toxins. Um, which again, it's, it really depends on what you're eating and what you're cooking it and all that sort of stuff. But back in history, the uh, one of the real innovative innovators of uh, raw foodism was John of Egypt. Mm, um, it's a good name. It's a very good name. I don't think it was... I mean, yeah, it was probably uh, a different way of saying John back in the year 300 uh, AD. But he um, was... Uh, a monk uh, mm-hmm. in Egypt, um, and after a certain period of time, he decided to dig out a cave um, where he would, and three small cells within that cave, one for sleeping, one for work, and one for praying, and then he walled up the cave with himself inside, leaving only a small window, um, and through the window, he communicated and preached the crowds who brought him food and water, but he would only drink, he would only eat dried fruit and vegetables and it's claimed, uh, and raw dried fruit and vegetables. Mm. And it's claimed that he did so of doing so. He lived for 50 years um, and he lived well into his nineties uh, overall. Mm. So his, uh, he's still celebrated by both the Catholic and uh, Eastern Orthodox church to this day for his great feats of eating raw vegetables in a cave. Mm-hmm. Um, but then fast forward many years and so in the kind of 1800s was when sort of lots of ideas, particularly vegetarianism kind of took off and also raw foodism kind of emerged as like a, a version of that as people were kind of questioning the, the natural world more and more um, in that century. And uh, a man named uh, Bircher Benner um, decided that it was influenced by Charles Darwin's ideas that humans were basically just another kind of animal. And he said that, well, animals don't cook, so humans don't need to cook either. It's more natural in his his idea for uh, humans to eat raw food. And he opened a sanatorium um, in the mountains uh, in which the whole point was that they would kind of sit in the mountains, absorb sunlight, which they called vital force, uh, which comes go as this breatharianism idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and the life force, because of uh, this vital force that they were kind of absorbing through sunlight, was more present in plants because of um, what's it called? Plants. Uh, <laughs> photosynthesis. photosynthesis. Yeah. Yes, because of photosynthesis, yeah. um, and uh, was diminished by cooking. Um, interestingly enough, uh, this was the guy, and within these clinics. Um, who invented muesli as part of his... muesli. Exactly. So as part of his whole thing, it was, you know, people who make cereals, basically, as we discussed with Kellogg's, are weirdos. Yeah. Um, But as part of his whole process, he uh, developed muesli as he thought it brought in that vital life force from the planet and from the sun. So there you go. Fair play to him. Yeah. Um, Was he a religious nut by any chance? Mm. I don't think he was necessarily a kind of Christian religious or (laughs) in that same respect. I think he was more like back to nature, nudism, free love, um, sunlight, those kind of things. 
do not heat up food above 40 degrees. <laughs> Whatever you do. Yeah. 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 Well, the reason I ask is just because obviously often, um, well, as with um, alumnus of the show, John Harvey Kellogg, um, another insane diet uh, creator, hmm. um, there's often a kind of religious motivation. So sometimes, obviously, like you think of, different religions have different diets when he talks about kosher and halal before obviously uh hindus tend not to eat beef or don't eat beef um another indian religion jainism has a very 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 strict um form of vegetarian diet which nearly all of them adhere to um which involves um even certain vegetables they won't eat so they won't pull a root vegetable out of the ground for example because not only does it kill the vegetable but it, um, in the process of digging something up, it kills little insects and stuff mm. like that, and they try and avoid that at all costs. Um, there has also been, in the Christian tradition, I suppose, under John, mm. Egypt, <laughs> um, some examples of uh, very odd kind of belief-based diets. Right. Um the most sort of disturbing example I could find is um, in the Middle Ages, there's a phenomenon called, um, or an eating disorder called anorexia mirabilis, uh, also known as holy anorexia, um, with basically has like similar symptoms to the anorexia that we are familiar with. Um, but it was mainly in the Middle, Age, Middle Ages in Europe, mainly affected Catholic nuns who kind of had this, you know, like the really ascetic thing of wanting to like, punish themselves to um sort of feel something like what jesus was felt during the passion and stuff um so the way they did this was to starve themselves um i'll read you, read you some case studies mm. if, if i may so a woman called um marie of <laughs> marie of ween yes somewhere in belgium Right. 12th century. Um, went to great lengths to cause herself physical pain, wanting to suffer as Jesus Christ had. She deprived herself of sleep, and when she did eat, which was very little, she favoured bread so stale it would cause her gums to bleed. Um, she made the choices to live in poverty despite being from a wealthy family and abstained from sex despite being married. Um, and then she eventually refused to eat anything other than the consecrated hosts, i.e. like yeah. sacramental mm. bread. And she died at the age of 36. Um, there's also a, uh, a, th a common thing with these ladies was that they wanted to, they desired to appear unattractive in, in hopes of avoiding marriage and, and sexual <laughs> contact. So there was a woman called, um, again, not 100% sure on the pronunciation, Wilgefortis or Wilgefortis of Portugal. Um a legendary Portuguese infanta who took a vow of virginity and began to starve herself to avoid marriage. She reportedly prayed to be made ugly, which resulted in her growing a large beard, <laughs> um, which people assumed to be a work of God. She ultimately was crucified, so oh, she didn't. She, she avoided the yeah, um, probably quite like that the death by starvation. Um, however, I mean, yeah. So th there was a woman called Catherine of Siena. 14th century, um, known to fast for long periods of time. Towards the end, when the disease was at her worst, she only she would only consume a single Eucharist wafer. Um, and she she died at the age of 33. She would in, in restricting her food intake, she was known to insert sticks into her throat to activate to induce vomiting. Mm. So it's very similar to like modern eating disorders that yeah. we are aware of. But more Jesus-based than Yeah, well, at least that was what they kind perhaps. of thought, yeah. But I mean, there's some of the details are pretty great. So there, there'll be a, there should be a slight content warning here of uh, if you're eating, for example, <laughs> uh, you should get a mop because this is gross. <laughs> but um, so Catherine of Siena was known to drain the pus from sick individuals into a cup to drink. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> and there's another woman, uh, also from Italy, called Angela of Foligno, who was known to eat the scabs of the poor. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not good. 
uh, the name of God. Wow, that's deeply disturbing. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who it was, but in my research, I came across a devout Christian slash raw Tarian. Oh, right. um, but he had a big conflicts about eating the Eucharist because, of course, it's cooked. And he eventually decided yeah. that in his interpretation of the Christian faith and eating raw food, uh, God didn't want him to eat the Eucharist. Um, right. So okay. yeah, I don't know how we got to that one. but Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's a weird one. There's a, it, also, it seems to be a big thing, particularly with like um, religions that are like centered around individuals. So mm. whether it's like saint worship or like worship of uh, like a, a monk or a guru in, in sort of South Asian religions. So there was a kid, well now a man in the pool, who was known as the Buddha boy. Have you heard of him? Yeah, he I think of, I have heard of him before. In the, he became famous in 2005 mm. when he was still a teenager. Um, for supposedly sitting for months on end under a tree, under a pipal tree like the Buddha, um, without moving, eating or drinking. Um, and he, he gathered all these people around him to watch him. And it does seem to, to all, as far as anyone can tell, to have not been eating or drinking. Um, and a reporter from GQ went and claimed that he'd seen uh, beams of light emanating from his head. Wow. He's called, this, this guy is called Ram Bahadur Bomjon. Um, after 10 months of this, Discovery Channel went and filmed him for 96 hours, in which time he didn't appear to, to eat or drink. However, by that time, fences had been put up so people couldn't get too close. Um, it became hard for people to keep an eye on him at night, especially. So it's kind of hard to know for sure like what was really going on. Mm. In any case, he doesn't seem to have been very Buddha-like because um, in the years since, he's been followed everywhere by accusations of violence, sexual assault, kidnapping, etc. So That's not very Buddhist, is it? No. I think he's no. your, your garden variety sort of cult leader by the mm, sounds slash, of Slash, yeah. Fraud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that thing of, um, I've come across the idea that from raw vegans and Mm. people who don't like to cook their food that, um, oh, animals don't do it. So why should we? It's unnatural for for us to do it. So I I met a guy who is a raw vegan. He doesn't describe himself as a fruitarian. He was, I was asking him about fruitarianism. He was like, sort of had the hump a little bit because he was like everyone thinks of that scene in Notting Hill where they only eat stuff that falls up a tree and he's mm. like, people think it's stupid <laughs> but um, effectively what he told me was that um, a lot of people who are raw vegans effectively are fruitarians because mm. you can't eat if you were just to eat lettuce he said you'd have to eat 40 heads of lettuce a day just to get enough calories and you can't really can't do that do it. yeah um, so to get enough calories, you need to eat sugar because uh, fruit has got lots of sugar in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he said that he was like, you know, chimpanzees are really, str- they're way stronger than humans. They just eat fruit. Mm. But it's like, I mean, like a bull is really strong I and mean, it just eats grass. <laughs> yeah. But it's genetic. It's, 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 it's yeah, it's like, how its body processes that food. Yeah, like exactly. We don't digest grass in the same way as a cow does. Um, we don't have four stomachs. Yeah. But it was interesting talking. So he was like, he said that, He'd, I think, when he was growing up, he never really drank much or took drugs or anything. Mm. So he was like, when he was a teenager, he didn't sort of couldn't bond with other kids based on that. So he was a bit left out from that. Um, he said he binged on sugary snacks, which made him feel bad, obviously. So he cut sugar out, and then he got addicted to caffeine. <laughs> so you can see a bit of a pattern, like yeah. emerging. And then, like when he found the raw vegan people, it was like, um, you know, he found a, a tribe sort yeah. of thing to be to be a part of. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think he, he was more down the line of like, um, doing it for what he believed were health reasons. Mm. I think again, mainstream science wouldn't, um, wouldn't agree with that probably, but, um, his, so he, he, he told me about this guy called Dr. Doug Graham, who came up with a diet called the 80, 10, 10 diet, which is basically you get, um, I'll find exactly what it is. You get you get eighty percent of your calories from carbohydrate, right? Um, you get ten percent from protein. You get ten percent from fats. Is the idea so? Right. They can use, um, you know, nuts and seeds and the oils that you can get from them. 
So you can get some protein from that and you can get some yeah, a lot of fat from that. Mm. But that's why most people end up because if, if you if you don't eat loads of fruit all the time, yeah. you end up eating loads of nuts and seeds and so it's really, really high fat. Yeah. So that's kind of maybe even less healthy, I don't know. Yeah. But um he basically gave he gave me an idea of his daily diet. Mm. And he it it went thusly. <laughs> so you have a Hunter S. Thompson style yeah. <laughs> yeah, fruit well, <laughs> fruit fest. <laughs> similar le- similar levels of grapefruit consumption. <laughs> he said, um, "Well, you will you'll be unsurprised to hear, as an overview, mm. fruit for breakfast, fruit for lunch, <laughs> maybe a salad for dinner. <laughs> um, but over the course of a day, it would, could look something like two pineapples, five large oranges, twelve clementines, two kilograms of tomatoes." And a head or two of lettuce. Wow. Um, and perhaps another day you might just eat a kilogram of grapes. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's a serious amount of food. When I was doing the research for this episode, I was watching some videos online of fruitarians kind of talking people through their diets. And it is nuts. These people are eating like a whole watermelon for breakfast. Yeah. And that's like, that's a huge amount of food. But you need it for the calories and for the sustenance. And, and they have to take ages to eat, mm. which is not, probably not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, better for you to chew your food but it's also better to not just eat fruit <laughs> but um because they have a word for it they call it melon belly oh. where you if you just stuff yourself with fruit it's really uncomfortable right. you get you get a big melon belly so you have to take ages um yeah don't even steam vegetables mm. don't even yeah do anything yeah it's all based on this idea that um cooking food destroys the nutrients in it and stuff yeah um and he and he also said that protein so he thinks the idea that we need a lot of protein is a myth and that protein is actually bad for you um but the thing is i mean you can find like i guess you can find evidence to support all these things going especially now well, the yeah, selective reading um, he did say, which I thought was a good point, that people who have deficiency diseases, mm. they're always vitamins. They're never like protein or yeah. They're always to do with micronutrients, basically. Yeah, well, iron sometimes. That's true, actually. Yeah, that's in iron. meat in Guinness. But you get iron from leafy greens. That's true. Guinness, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, as we're on the topic of booze, yes, we should, we've delayed <laughs> talking about what we're drinking. Yes. We may as well. So today, uh, I was on some rawtarian forums to find out what uh, what you're allowed to drink, um, and basically. Alcohol kind of follows the same rules as food, so basically something you haven't heated beyond 40 degrees, so that rules out kind of any beer or any spirit. But interestingly enough, uh, wines and some meads are are allowed. So yeah, um, and given that uh, we haven't had... We have had wine before, we haven't had mead yet, we've gone down the mead route and, and... as a nod to our fruitarian friends, uh, we've gone with a rhubarb-flavoured mead, um, which, uh, for those who don't know, mead is a honey-based uh, alcohol, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and rhubarb is a leafy vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's fruit part. It's fruit adjacent. It's fruit adjacent. It's tasting, it certainly tastes like like fruit. I tried to find a, uh, a diet type of only eating rhubarb or raw rhubarb, and fortunately it doesn't seem like people have got there yet but if you're inspired by this episode to go on a rhubarb only diet then please write in yeah, um, and please but, consult your doctor <laughs> please consult your doctor and uh, we accept no liability yeah um but we'll give it a go yeah i'll uh, pour a glass there thank you very much cheers cheers it's very good sweet tastes a lot like honey it doesn't taste, taste that much like rhubarb. It doesn't taste that much like rhubarb. It tastes a lot like honey. It's very I'm, sweet. Um, I wonder, I'm sceptical as to whether a an ethical fruitarian, on the topic of which mm. we'll get onto, um, would eat forced rhubarb. And for people who don't know, rhubarb, something like 90% of the world's rhubarb mm. is um, produced not far from Hungry Ghosts HQ, in fact. <laughs> it's true. In an area called the Rhubarb Triangle, yes. which is in Yorkshire. Yeah. It's between, I think, Leeds and... L- Leeds and Sheffield. Warrington and... No, Warrington. It's Leeds and... Uh, Harrogate. Wakefield and... and something. something. Three places that's, in Yorkshire. That's pop. Um, and they grow... They have rhubarb in dark sheds. 
mm. with just like a glint of light at the top, which makes it grow really, really fast, and uh, hence forced rhubarb grows so quickly you can hear it growing. Mm. It yeah, it's like squeaking, crackling. Yeah. Um. So maybe it's unethical. Maybe, yeah, you're forcing a vegetable, a vegetable to, to act against its will. I think in general, the vibe I got from the Rotarian Forum was that like most of them, the sort of person who takes their diet so extremely as to not, as to only eat raw vegetables or fruit, is the sort of person who probably has already cut alcohol out of their consumption. Yeah, but there, there are obviously were people on the forums who wanted still to get pissed, but didn't want to eat food cooked. Well, I think if you're making such a big lifestyle change... You're going to want to carry a crutch with you. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, I said to the guy I was chatting to, um, if I would, if I wanted to go raw vegan, mm. what? How would you recommend that I do it? And his advice was, um, start simple, start radical. Oh wow, radical! That, and he, radical uh, and simple. Aren't, I wouldn't necessarily say the same thing. Well, specifically because this is simple and radical. Oh, okay. He said. Just only eat bananas for a month. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, go um, big or go home. Yeah, but yeah, um, I mean there there are there is a subset and it's a very small one mm. of fruitarianism, um, known as ethical fruitarians, who it goes beyond. You know, most of them it's for kind of perceived health benefits. Yeah, um, but. Uh, some of them, they think that there's... I think it's often like to do with a kind of general sense of compassion towards all living things rather than necessarily thinking that a plant has feelings. Whatever. Something that's... Obvious, yeah, with the, the state of the modern world, let's say, whenever someone tries to do something over here, there's always going to be an intense and quite aggressive reaction from someone else. It's going to be a culture war. It's going to be a culture war. And... Uh, what with veganism on the rise and the rise of alternative milks uh, and the like, uh, a growing number of so-called traditionalists who ground themselves... You forgot to mention the, the crisis of masculinity. And the crisis of masculinity. <laughs> uh, yes, these so-called um, uh, traditionalists are pushing back against what they perceive as kind of modern health alternatives which have created a generation of subservient, emasculated men, or to them, cucks. Um, LAUGHTER and and these people um, are, are reacting violently against kind of this veganism slash oat milk, uh, you know, trend that's going on in the wider world. It's uh, like the um, the people that are convinced there's a war on meat. Exactly, yeah. exact same people. So that, that, you know, they see meat, red meat, as being manly, alpha, and then tofu as being like beta and. Uh, Feminine in their eyes. They say soy boy. Right? <laughs> they so say men soy. Men who eat soy based yeah, products. Exactly. <laughs> and they have a big thing against um, the big soy is specifically responsible for the declining sperm count in men. Feminizing men. Feminizing men. Yeah. Uh, and this group, they call themselves uh, the right wing bodybuilders or RWBB. Uh, and it's kind of like a, an offshoot of kind of the old off right, uh, alt right kind yeah. of uh, landscape of kind of nonsense. Um, their whole they love well to, to eat obviously they raw raw meat yeah. raw eggs yeah. they're very very into raw milk so unpasteurized milk which is actually illegal to sell for human consumption in the US it's a rare um, <laughs> crossover in the Venn diagram of right wing bodybuilders and hipsters yes exactly um, and they have their own critical theory so they're presumably against critical race theory but they're uh, pro yeah. Uh, what they call raw egg nationalism. <laughs> Which there's been books and recipe books published that are like about how you can embrace raw egg nationalism in your your daily life. Um, they connect a lot of their traditions to kind of the ancient world, so sort of Roman and Greek figures yeah. uh, as kind of being the the golden age of 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 man. Um, and it's the neo Nazi connection, it's essentially well, the kind of heathenry thing. Yeah. Uh, they are basically, yeah, neo-Nazis who are at high risk of contracting a bit bacterial infection from, from their diet. Um, <laughs> yeah. A choice tweet from one of them uh, who calls himself, aptly as what we were just saying, Carnivore Aurelius, right. um, is that the carnivore diet is the red pill that wakes you up to reality. Um, These, this 
element of society never fails <laughs> never fails to amaze me like the the connections they can draw between so disparate it's like it's ridiculous why why on earth is it that the same the exact same people like Elon Musk and cryptocurrency yeah. listening to podcasts where men talk about <laughs> have women's rights gone too far yeah Jordan Peterson <laughs> Jordan Peterson <laughs> Joe Rogan big time Joe Rogan yeah um and like yeah, this element of like uh, obsession with either the classical world or like Nordic pre-Christian mythology yeah. and stuff. I mean, you know, it's a interesting farrago of influences. Yeah, that. it's mental. Uh, basically. <laughs> but then they always you can pinpoint always, exactly yeah, what they're going to like. Yeah, crypto. Crypto. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it's. Bizarre, isn't it? This subscribe kind of, to Twitter Blue. This, yeah, subscribe to Twitter Blue. Yeah, because um, I don't get it. Because Elon Musk is not like any of those other things, but yeah, he's, he's becoming he's more and more like them. Though I think, yeah, he is. He is. In terms of, but I mean, like, also, right? Tell me this. Yeah, how do these people square who are so against big soy and they think <laughs> it's feminizing men and reducing the sperm count? How do they square that with? Uh, Probably the world's biggest consumers of soy, the Chinese, yes. being the world's most populous race. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't think logic and reasoning are for a huge no. part of their, uh, you know, their four chan discussions. Probably not. No. Um, there's weirdly within the kind of the raw meat world. There's also women. Um, there's a woman called Heidi Montag, uh, who's a YouTuber, oh, yeah. um, and she's going down a different route. She thinks that. Um, eating raw bison heart um, will actually boost her fertility as a woman. So I think the okay. the the RRWBs among us uh, <laughs> would probably you know not like the fact that what you know what she's kind of saying or what she has to espouse, but she's sort of going down a kind of similar route, but more of a feminist kind of let's right. make women strong by eating raw meat, whereas these guys are going down a let's make men strong by eating raw meat. Um, all in all, you know, it's preferable to have a varied diet, basically, and don't stick to just raw meat and eggs. It's insane. Get some vegetables in your lads, you'll probably feel better. Um, but you know what's probably even worse than eating raw meat exclusively? Eating planes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, although I've got a different segue. Okay. <laughs> There's only one... <laughs> example of where eating that much meat is good for you and that's the example of Don Gorski who uh, in his lifetime has eaten over 33,000 Big Macs is this the guy I think I've seen him <laughs> yeah. sort of an old he's like a wiry old guy yeah so he's featured on like Super Size Me uh, yeah, if yeah. you remember that yeah. um, and loads of other kind of documentary things over the years 2008 he wrote a book called 22,477 Big Macs. You'd think you just, you know, eat another 23 and round it up to 22,500. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, that's something him and his publishers to to work through. Mm-hmm. Anyway, since then, 2008, <laughs> he's, he's obviously, he's, he's eaten another 10,000 Big Macs up till now. So 32,672 uh, Big Macs in his life. Wow. And he claims that his that Big Mac constitutes 90 to 95% of his total food intake. So how many does he have in a day? Do we know? Um, well, how, how long has he been at it? Well, I think a, it's decades. It's, it's decades. Decade. So yeah, he's, so he got his first Big Mac uh, on the same day he bought his first car, but I assume he hasn't had 32,000 cars. Um, that would be a power move. On May the 17th, uh, 1972, he purchased and ate three Big Macs at once. So he's gone from naught to... Three, basically a hundred in Big Mac <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in in you know flat. Uh, and then re- returned two more times that same day to consume a total of nine Big Macs in his first day. Uh, and then in the following month, he then went up to two hundred sixty-five. So he's averaging about eight and a half Big Macs a day. Um, that is a that is a lot. So he but, goes three times a day and has three every time. Yeah, basically, yeah. He doesn't eat the fries, chips we would call them. Um, he just has uh, a Big Mac, or well, three Big three Macs at a time. He once 
went to Mc, uh, Burger King in 1984. Oof. Had the Burger King Whopper, and never again. Terrible. It was a huge mistake. And he only did it after his friend bet him five dollars to do so. Burger King's rubbish. But he he spent the winnings on Big Macs. <laughs> so this is what I think you know the the right wing bodybuilders need to get behind. It's not this is what makes you a man basically. Yeah, it's Big Mac consumption. We will accept sponsorship from McDonald's if they're offering. Yeah, not from Burger King. Not from Burger King. Scum. Well, what I wonder about this guy is: does he just go and slowly munch his three, or does he wolf him like Joey Chestnut style? Just yeah, because he must. You get. He must get quick at eating them. He must get quick he at wants eating them. To be. Yeah, the well, he was a correctional officer uh, at prison, so that's a stressful job. So I can imagine he yeah. was kind of drive through in America. Obviously, drive up on the way to work, maybe lunch break, drive back, get three more on the way home, yeah. maybe three more, and just just to. munch them down. Um, there's been eight days in his life when he did not eat a single Big Mac. Well, since 1972, one of those days was the day his mother died. No, uh, he did not eat a Big Mac to respect her request. She, she said she asked him. she asked him don't eat a Big Mac the day I die. Uh, others included a snow day when it was McDonald's was unable to open due to snow. Uh, one Thanksgiving, a couple of days when he's been travelling and could not find a McDonald's when he was on holiday. Yeah, um, and other days when he's had to stay late at work. But since these all these days. Um, he started keeping an emergency stash of Big Macs in his freezer so that if is you know another snow day or he has to work late again, then he's got it in his freezer. He can heat it up at home. And, and, uh, and if he goes on holiday... Mac. Well, I suppose most places they've got McDonald's. Most of them do, yeah. He can take some in his hand luggage frozen yeah. and then by the time he gets there, it'll be <laughs> thawed. Perfectly thawed. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Um, uh, so I've got a, f- a, f- uh, a few... Mental quickfire ones uh, that we'll go through. So the first is the ice diet. Um, Proponents of the ice diet believe that because ice makes your body cold, it then has to burn calories to heat you up again. So you basically uh, should eat like a pound of ice a day, like 400 grams of ice a day. Right. Uh, And then then you can eat anything else you want because your body is going to use enough calories to heat you up again from all the ice you've been eating okay uh i see the it's not logic. <laughs> <laughs> uh the second one is is one that they say is um uh good for you if you're in the modeling industry to keep you thin mm-hmm. um it's a co- cotton ball diet it's uh, involves instead of drinking a smoothie or a juice you simply dip a cotton ball in and you drink and you eat that because the cotton will make you feel full inside you won't need to eat much more oh, wow. and you'll stay thin. I didn't thin. even know you could eat cotton. I don't, again. Don't you, think, you, yeah. shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't. Um, you shouldn't, basically. Um, the, the third and penultimate quickfire one um, is from 1727, is the Avoiding Swamps Diet. Uh, this was a man named <laughs> Thomas Short who wrote a treatise called The Causes and Effects of Corpulence in which he observed... Uh, presumably an American, uh, that heavier people tended to live near swamps. So his... Louisiana. <laughs> Louisiana, <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah, can confirm Louisiana. But he decided that it was the arid... Uh, no, sorry, the climate of swamps that was causing the fatness and the overweight people should therefore pick up and move to drier, more arid climates to uh, get thin. There's, in the past, there was this obsession with the climate and mm. having a massive impact on your health, wasn't there? Yeah. Like sanatoriums and stuff. Yeah. And then the third and the final one, which is particularly disgusting, is the man-juice diet. Um, oh, God. So this is a, a pornographic actress named Kim Kelly um, who claims she created her own high-protein diet, which helped her lose 10K. I think we should probably imagine. So, yeah, it involved, uh, simply put, her only eating nothing but semen for 30 days straight. I mean, was was she kind of, was she eating it, like, in situ, or was she was it being prepared and she was eating it at home? I don't know. Yeah, it, it begs, there's like... You, there's a lot, there's a lot to... It's kind of like a nine big back-to-day thing. It's like, when are you getting those, like... 
how many how is per, being spaced out? How are you spacing these are you out? Get, are you only eating at work? Are you only eating at work? Like how many? Some are you people having? do like to eat Aldesco. Yeah. I mean <laughs> quite disgusting. <laughs> Pretty disgusting, yeah. Yeah. But my favourite of them all is Michelle Lotito. Uh, who's a Frenchman who's known as Monsieur Mange Two, which is Mr. Eat It All. Um, and he was a French entertainer who began his unusual diet at the age of just nine years old uh, because, uh, unfortunately, he had a psychological disorder which created an appetite for substances that are largely non-nutritive. Non-nutritive. Um, so basically, this guy had because of the, his brain chemistry was so messed up, got really into eating metal, glass, and rubber and other phys, you know materials non-edible throughout his life, non edible materials. So throughout his life, he dissembled, cut up, and consumed the following: fifty four door hinges, <laughs> eighteen bicycles. 15 shopping carts, seven TV sets, six chandeliers, uh, two beds, one pair of skis, one computer. He didn't like skis, so he just yeah, didn't yeah, yeah, same as a computer. It wasn't that tasty. Loved TV sets, hated computers. Mm. You'd think they're probably quite yeah, similar. Yeah, you'd think, yeah. Uh, one waterbed, uh, a 500-meter steel chain, wow. one coffin with handles, uh, one Guinness Award plaque. <laughs> so he won the Guinness Award. He ate it. <laughs> whatever. I don't know what specific thing. Oh, the strangest diet is what he won. The He holds the record for strangest diet. And he won the award and then ate the plaque. <laughs> I love that. And then the kind of the pièce de résistance of his, of his life was that he ate an entire Cessna 150 light aircraft. <laughs> I mean... That is entertaining. He's an yeah. entertainer. But did he do this in front of an audience or just? Yeah, so I guess a lot of it he would like dissemble and like eat slowly over time. So he ingested kind of about a, a, a one kilo of material daily um, with mineral oil and water. Um, so yeah, it would take him a period of time to get through all of this. But they reckon that between. Uh, 1959 and 1997, he'd eaten but, nearly nine tons of metal. But how's he doing it? Like, because you can't just soften it. You can't cook it down. Yeah. Unless it's so degrees. So doc- doctors determined that he had a, a thick stomach lining and intestines, like especially thick te- intestines, which allowed him to consume sharp metal without suffering injury. But to get it just down the gullet, it must be in tiny pieces, surely. Yeah, presumably. Um he also had weirdly strong digestive juices that could uh, Didn't do digest the material, but it meant that he couldn't really digest soft foods such as bananas and eggs, and they made him very sick. He's got that the wrong way around. <laughs> <laughs> but so he's he's actually digesting the metal. He's yeah, not pulling it out as metal. Yeah, yeah. That's mad. Yeah, it's mental. Uh, the plane, actually, to come back to that, so it took him roughly two years from 1978 to 1980 to eat the plane whole. I mean, but I'm not surprised. I'll give, yeah. him, I'll so, give him three years to eat that. <laughs> Sadly, he died of natural causes in 2007 at the age of 57. Oh, yeah. You're so, not going to live a really long life if you're eating planes. There's natural causes. There was no relation but to But they're them. saying, like, so he won a Guinness World Record for the strangest diet. Yeah. But I'd say, don't get me wrong, <laughs> eating an entire plane is impressive. But the other stuff he's saying, oh, one computer, like, mm. 20 tellies. It's like, yeah. it sounds like these are, like, they're garnishes to his main diet. It's not his whole diet isn't just metal, is it? Cause, no, that, no. He was at, well, he ate a kilo a day of metal, but he must have been eating other stuff because he wouldn't get any... Um, it's like the fruitarians and so on. You're not getting enough nutrients from just metal no planes fiber. alone. No fibre. A lot of iron, but that's probably it. Well... Maybe some zinc. Yeah, a lot of zinc. Yeah. Um, a lot of iron. But... <laughs> just... I mean, we, we talked about um, doing some bonus content where we try and take on some food challenges. <laughs> Uh, e.g. I'm convinced I can break the world record for eating an onion. Yeah. I think it's pathetic. Because it's like 30 <laughs> seconds or something. Yeah, but then you've got to eat the reward afterwards, the award. 
<laughs> I reckon there'll be two tiers to the Patreon. Yeah. To the bonus content. <laughs> you have to pay 10 quid a month to see <laughs> see one of us eat, eat an award or a plate. A Guinness World Record. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how that's kind of the extremes, I guess. You can go from just eating your vegetables, you know, uncooked, to then eating a whole aircraft. Um, it's what we call a slippery slope. It's what we call, yeah, a slippery slope. Um, but it's probably better than eating... It's better than being a right-wing bodybuilder. Well, exactly. The real man is not a right-wing bodybuilder. It's the man who eats an entire plane. Yeah. Yeah. So take that, Peterson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what about Liver King as well? Turned out to be broided up to the oh, gills. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To no one's surprise. To no one's surprise. It was just a fraud. Yeah. Yeah. He's still, he's still trying to do stuff. Yeah, they're always trying. He's still trying to stick around. <laughs> he's probably part of the old right well, exactly, bodybuilders. Yeah. That's his whole. He's probably one of their kings. But he doesn't just eat raw meat. That's the problem. No, he eats raw meat and takes loads of steroids. <laughs> yeah, it's really different. <laughs> On that note, mm. um, I think we should probably end. Yeah, feeling peckish. I'm feeling peckish for a plane. <laughs> yeah, me too. I want some awards. <laughs> I need to win some awards. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. If you've liked it. Give us a follow, tell your friends and family, Give leave a, a review. Leave us a review, please. The reviews have, they were coming in hot, but they've stalled a little bit, so yeah. come, on. come on. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye.